have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter number 14. Revelation 14. Uh, I've got good news. They have heard from our brother Solomon. Amen. Can we give God praise and glory right there? Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, last week we, we, we showed you what was going on in Nigeria. And they hadn't, they hadn't made contact with Solomon in a little while. And, and, and we were afraid something might have happened. But he's okay. He's safe. Everything's good. And God is answering prayers. Amen. So, Revelation chapter number 14. Before we start reading... Uh, let me give you just a, just a half of a second of a recap of 13. I don't know if y'all remember this from last week, but 13 left a bad taste in my mouth. Say amen. All we heard was about the Antichrist. We heard about the false prophet. We heard about the mark of the beast. We heard about the activities of Satan, his deception, and uh, all of that. It was dark. Would you agree with me? Say amen. It was, it was just, a, just a, a bad situation. And when Satan's at work, it's always that way. And it looks bad. And it looks bad for God's people. It looks bad for this earth. And things are looking dim. But chapter 14 is God saying, but watch this. But watch this. I, I, I posted something a little earlier that said, in the end, everything will be okay. If everything's not okay... It ain't the end. Are y'all with me? And this is what this is what chapter 14 is. Is God saying it's gonna be okay? It's gonna be okay. All right? Are y'all with me? Say amen. It says in verse number one, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. I'll just stop there and we'll, we'll catch up here in a moment. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Uh, Lord, thank you for a great crowd tonight. Thank you for the privilege to come and study your word. Uh, I've been in it all day. Lord, now I pray that you'll help me retain the things I've learned and the things that you have shared and, and showed me. And God, give me the ability to articulate it in such a way that everybody can understand it and figure it out. And Lord, it'll make sense. I pray that, uh, Lord, your word will not return void tonight. I pray that you'll help me, guide Direct everything that I say. I, it doesn't matter what I have on paper. It doesn't matter what I think I have in my mind. If you don't give me the unction of the Holy Ghost, it ain't going to work. And I pray, Lord, that you'll touch me with your hand. I pray that you'll fill me with your spirit, guide my mind, guide my words. I pray that I won't say anything that I shouldn't, and I won't forget anything that I should. And I pray that your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we all pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. 
Let's begin, let's begin tonight with the introduction in your notes. Uh, uh, we're going to read just a, a, a few uh, lines here that will help you understand. Did anybody forget to get a lesson? Anybody need a lesson? I, I usually do this and I forgot. Uh, is everybody good? We're all good up in the balcony? Okay. All right. Look at, look at your lesson. Look at the top of your lesson. Revelation, Revelation has much to say about the coming judgments. As already noted, they are, pri- they are the primary focus of chapters 6 through 11 and 15 through 19. All right? 6 through 11, we talked about the sealed judgments. Y'all remember that? The sealed judgments, the trumpet judgments, and all these things going on. So you have uh, ch- chapter 6 through 11, and then 15 through 19 is dealing with the judgments coming upon this earth. Well, chapters 12 through 14, what we've been in here recently form a brief interlude in the unfolding revelation of God's judgmental wrath. Chapters 12 and 13 have been seen to recount the events of the tribulation from Satan's perspective. In other words, chapters 12 and 13 covers uh, what Satan is going to be up to and the activities of Satan here on this earth. If that makes sense, say amen. Now, this is going to be different. Chapter 14, chapter 14 returns to what God is going to do. Now we're going to see what God is up to. In chapter 14, there is a series of separate visions, each complete in itself. They are disconnected pictures. However, they are not intended to present a chronological sequence of events. By now, now this is really good. This is really good. By now, you probably have observed from time to time, the Holy Spirit sets forth an outline a panoramic view of things to come. Then he goes to later on fill the details. Now, if you'll remember, we've already seen these 144,000, right? But now we're going to go back and fill in some details. That's what we're doing now, all right? Does that make sense? Okay, now, chronologically, the events in chapter 15 and 16 occur before the reaping and harvest of chapter 14. For example, in chapter 14, verse 8, a brief announcement or vision shows the judgment of Babylon. But her actual doom is described under the seventh vial of wrath and judgment in chapter 16, verses 17 to 21. Let us do it this way. Let us us explain it this way. Let us say that chapter 14 is like a table of contents. It takes the reader back to the beginning of the tribulation week and carries him forward to the end of the week. And, the, and when it says week, it means those seven years. So seven years of tribulation. The beginning of the tribulation to the end of tribulation. Does everybody understand that? Say amen. All right. Now, it contains anticipative visions which set forth the end for the comfort of the saints. In other words, God takes chapter 14 and says, let me, let me, let me tell you, everything's going to be all right. I know we've been going through some very difficult things and we've been uh, reading and, and, and seeing some horrific things that are going to take place on this earth, but I want to comfort you and help you know everything's going to be all right. And all God's people say it. Listen, it's for the comfort of the saints. In place of the wicked beast that we saw in chapter 13, the lamb comes into view. In place of the multitude of people worshiping the Antichrist, there appears a host of redeemed ones praising 
and following Christ. So that's where we want to uh, jump into. We're, we'll start our study in, in chapter number four in the first verse. But does, does everybody kind of see where we're at right now? We're, we're, we're not, uh, you, you got to understand all the time, it doesn't go in chronological order from chapter one all the way to the end. Amen. Sometimes he will jump back and forth and he will, he will tell you something in earlier chapters and then he will come in and fill in the details. All right. And, and he does that with 144,000. He does that with Armageddon. We're going to talk a little bit about Armageddon in this chapter. And then we'll see a little bit of it in chapter 16. And then we'll see the, uh, the biggest portion of it in chapter 19. So with that being said, let's start here in verse number one. Let's go back to verse number one. It says, and I looked and lo, and, and first scene we're going to look at, the first scene we're going to look at, if you want to put this beside it, I meant to, I meant to uh, type it in and I forgot, so I just wrote it beside it. Right beside scene one, verses one through five. Okay, scene one is verses one through five. Write that down. So that way you'll know that's, that's the section that we're going to cover right now, verses one through five. Okay? And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of the great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, here's what I want you to see. First, write this down. I want you to write down the winner. The winner. You see, we came out of chapter 12 and we came out of chapter 13 and it seems like the devil's getting the upper hand. It seems like the Antichrist is winning. Everybody's following the Antichrist. Everybody's getting the mark of the beast. When I say everybody, y'all, I, I'm telling the, the unbelievers, there are going to be a remnant of believers being saved. There's going to be a remnant of the Jews. But the majority of humanity is following the beast. And the majority of humanity is bowing and worshiping the beast and the false prophet. And so things are looking bad. But God opens up chapter number 14 by showing you the winner. He is the lamb. He is on Mount Zion. And, it, and we see this in chapter uh, 2 of Psalms. Look what it says in chapter 2 of Psalms. We see the same picture. It says, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree, the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, ask of me. Now watch what God the Father is going to do for God the Son. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with thee, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So what do we see? We see a picture of Jesus ruling, reigning, and winning. He's coming to Mount Zion, which is where the capital of the world will be in Jerusalem. It is the king in his kingdom as the winner. Say amen. 
And God the Father puts him there and gives the rest of the world as his footstool, gives the rest of the world as his inheritance. And what the psalmist is saying here is the rest of the world, the nations of this earth, they better check up. And they better love and kiss the son because he is now their permanent ruler. Say amen. Satan was the prince of the power of the air. Satan was the God of this world. But now we see the lamb has overcome. He is in Mount Zion. He is in the city of the great king. Say amen. And he is ruling and reigning. Somebody say amen. Amen. So we see the winner. And then B, write this down. We see the witnesses. We see the witnesses. It says, and I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. And with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Let's look at the witnesses a minute. These are the evangelists. These are the missionaries. These are the committed, faithful, sold out, dedicated, hell or high water. They're followers of King Jesus. They're followers of the Lamb. We see their witnesses. Man, I, I, I had so much that I read and I, I wanted to give you that, but there's no way we'd finish it. But I'm telling you, there's no heroes like these heroes. These are the ones that's going through plagues. These are the ones that's going through tribulation. These are the ones that's going through satanic attack. The Satan's hounds have hounded them all over this planet and they've gone through the deserts. They've gone through the oceans. They've gone, listen, through the ice arctic. They've gone everywhere that they are people. They are taking the truth of who God is to every creature and they have been faithful unto the Lamb. Say amen. amen. This is them. Now watch, watch what it says. Now, now here's the thing, here's the thing. The first time we've seen them, the first time we've seen them, all hell's breaking loose on this earth, right? The first time we see them is toward the beginning of the tribulation period, all right? Before their ministry begins. That's, that's what we've studied and read in the, the first time we come across this particular group. There are 12,000 out of each tribe of Israel, Right? 12,000 out of each tribe of Israel. They've been sealed. They've been commissioned. They've been sent with the gospel. Take it to every creature. And that's what they've been doing. Well, here is the end. This is the end. And what does this teach us? Even through the tribulation, even through the trials, even through the persecution of Satan, they made it. They might be bloody, but they made it. They might be bruised, but they made it. Listen, they may have gone through hell itself, and they do, but they made it. Now, I I know what you're thinking. Big deal. I tell you, it's a big deal. Because hell and the devil has come against me, has come against Temple Baptist Church, has come against every child of God that's tried to do something for God. And there's going to be times in your life, there's going to be times in your ministry, there's going to be times that you think, I can't go another step, I'm not going to make it, it's too bad, it's too rough. But if you'll read this chapter, you'll understand if you belong to God, if you've got a calling on your life, I don't care how bad it gets, I don't care what it looks like, Baby, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. The devil's going to tell you to quit. The devil's going to tell you to give up. The devil's going to tell you it's not worth it. But I'm here to tell you, when you're standing with the captain and you're there in the end, you'll be glad you didn't quit. Say amen. Anyway, let's get back to teaching. I'm sorry. 
Look here. Psalms 91 describes this group. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor by the air that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. This is just describing the tribulation period. It's describing the times that they're going to be ministering in and going through. He says, a thousand shall fall at thy side, 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, because there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Preacher, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, it, listen, until God's through with you, the devil's gunpowder cannot burn. You are safe. You are protected. They were sealed and they came through. They made it. They're here in Mount Zion. Listen, they're here in the city of the great king and they made it. Now watch what happens. See, write this down. We see worship takes place. Worship. What happens when you win? You celebrate. If you don't know what that means, you never won nothing. <laughs> and let me tell you, when you celebrate the most, is when you've paid out the most. When you've suffered the most. Let me tell you, when the celebration of winning is the best, when the pain of winning is the most. When you sacrifice so much and you give so much. Man, I, I, I remember playing sports and Man, I remember certain games. It was all we could do. We, we didn't, man, we just gave it all we had and left it on the field. And when we won, it was the greatest feeling in the world. And, and worship begins to take place. And I, and I love this, man. I, I love this. You see, this is not the first time we've, we've run across some worship. And right now, the scene, the scene really is on earth. We see John, he hears a voice from heaven. So the scene is on earth at Mount Zion and, 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 and watch, they, they begin to sing and they begin to hear harps. And, and by the way, when, when you hear harps, it's always about joy. Harps, playing the harps represented joy. You remember when, you remember when the nation of Israel, the people of God was taken into captivity and, and while they were taken into captivity, the Bible said they hung their harps on the willows. They couldn't sing the songs of Zion. They couldn't sing the songs of God in a strange land. What were they doing? They didn't have joy anymore. They didn't have the joy of the Lord anymore. But now they're playing the harps, which represents joy and celebration. Somebody say amen. Now watch how this works. Watch how this works. The first time we find this type of celebration in this singing of a new song is in chapter 5, right? Look, look back in chapter 5. Let's go through this. Look back in chapter 5. It begins, it begins with a certain group. Look in chapter 5, verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. Now there was a, there was a song... There was a song that was sung in chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, which was the song of creation. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. This is chapter 4, verse 11, I think. 
Thou art worthy, for thou hast created all things, and all things were created for thy pleasure. They are and were created. You know what we need to understand? You know what we need to understand, ladies and gentlemen? This is commercial. I'm not going to charge you a thing for this. I'm just going to throw this right in there. God is worthy whether he's done anything for you or not. Even before you were saved, you owed him glory. Why? Because he deserves glory because he made you. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Talking about God. Talking about the light. Are y'all with me? Thou art worthy for thou hast created all things and all things were created for thy pleasure. They are and were created. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are the clay and he is the potter. Are y'all with me? Yeah, he deserves praise just because he made us. Every nation, every tongue, every people should give glory and honor and praise to him regardless because he made them. He made them. He's deserving of praise because he is the creator. But there's a, what kind of song? New song. What's the new song? It's in chapter 5. When you get to chapter 5 verse 9, look at look what the old song the old song is 411, Thou art worthy because you made us. Listen, the new song is Thou art worthy, verse 9. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou was slain and hast, come on, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, nation, and tongue and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Now watch this before I go any further. Here's what they're saying. You're worthy because you made me. You're worthy because you're my creator. You're worthy because you spoke me into existence. You dug your hands into the dust of this earth and formed a body and you breathed into that body the breath of life and man became a living soul and you're worthy because you gave me life. But oh, you're even doubly worthy because you came to where I was and you brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay and you set my foot on a rock and established my going. You saved me from my sin. You redeemed me from my iniquity. You all say amen today. You are worthy because you made me and you're worthy because you saved me. Yes, amen. I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him I now resign. I've been redeemed. When's the last time you gave him glory because you're saved? When's the last time you just woke, just broke out in spontaneous praise and worship just because you realized that there was a day you was on your way to a devil's hell, but Jesus came by your way and he looked beyond your fault and he saw your need and he saved you. Put your name in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, say. Amen. Yeah. And watch what happens. They get so excited. Man, they're so jacked up about it. It's great. Look what happens in the next verse. Look what it says in verse 13. And then, listen, first it's just the creatures around the throne. Then it's the elders around the throne. The elders, which represents the church. But then the angels, they get so excited, they join in with them. Look in verse 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You know what that means? Listen, angels cannot be saved. 
They don't completely understand what redemption is. And they cannot participate in redemption, but they can get happy about it. And they can rejoice with us. And they are rejoicing with you. But watch what happens. There's some more things that take place. Look in verse number 13. Listen, it starts with the beast around the throne. Then it goes to the elders, the church that's there in heaven. And then the angels join in with the singing. I'm telling you, what does that mean? That means worship is spontaneous and worship is contagious. Say amen. Oh yeah. And now watch. Every creature, every creature, verse 13, is in heaven and on the earth and under the sea. And such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I sing blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and church say amen and they worship him now what's happening in chapter 14 I'll tell you what's happening that worship that is going on in heaven when the picture of of the, the winner on Mount Zion what's happening in heaven is pouring out on earth and l- listen, the, the 144,000 said, hey, let us join the choir. And they, watch this now, they write a verse that nobody else can sing. Preacher, what do you mean? Look what it says. Look what it says. Look what it says. Verse 3. Verse 3. The harpers are harping. Listen, it's joy. Can y'all, can y'all sense the joy and the excitement? Verse 3. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. Listen. They've gone through something others have not gone through. They've experienced something that Others have not experienced. They've experienced the the protecting hand of God in the midst of sure disaster. And they've got a song that nobody else can sing. Now let me apply that a minute. Let me apply that a minute. Now I I, I don't think I'm going too far out in left field with this. But I I, want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Be careful. Be careful when you when you see somebody that don't worship just like you. Be careful, be careful looking at somebody that's just a little different than you. Maybe they express their emotions a little different than you. Maybe they're a little more uh, uh, expressive or, or, or manifest their, their joy and their worship a little more than you because you don't know what their worship costs them. There was a woman, can I preach just a minute? Can I do that? There was a woman who came into the presence of God. Came into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was there with a hypocrite, by the way. A man by the name of Simon. Who who had false pretenses when he invited Jesus to his house. He didn't come because he wanted a closer relationship with Jesus. He was trying to trap Jesus. He was trying to interrogate Jesus. Because he didn't really believe who Jesus was. And, And this woman came into his presence and fell at his feet and began to weep and to cry. And then, listen, her tears began to hit the feet of the Holy Son of God. And she got down and took her hair and began to wash his feet and kiss his feet. Oh, and show affection to him. 
And Simon, just like most hypocrites do, and most critical people do when they don't understand what's going on, he began to, in his mind, criticize Jesus. If Jesus was who he said he was, if he was holy like he says he's holy, he wouldn't even let this woman touch him. He knew who this woman was. This woman had a reputation. This woman didn't have the, are y'all with me? She, she, she was not a good woman. But somewhere, somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, maybe, maybe she heard these words come across the street at, on a corner she was standing as Jesus passed by. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe she heard that if you're hungry, I'm the bread of life. Maybe she heard, oh, if you're thirsty and you're looking, I am the living water. If you will ask of me, I will give you springs of living water. Oh, come on, church. Whatever it was, she believed him. And she trusted in him. And she found salvation. How do you know? Because unsaved people don't worship. And she came to worship. And Jesus proved it by his words. You know what happened? He, he heard him. Jesus heard him. You say, but he didn't say it. He thought it. Yeah, but he heard his thoughts. So you better be careful what you're thinking about me right now. I know what you're thinking. You, you thought you was going to come out here and there's going to be a little soft-spoken little Bible teacher going to give you a little word from the Bible. And, and I got excited because I've been in this all day. I, I've been studying all day. I, I mean, my mind's saturated. I'm excited, man. I'm ready to say, Jesus, sick him. Let's get him right now. Let's start it right now. And, and, and you've probably been a little critical because you don't understand where I've been today. Well, that's the way Simon was. And he said, Simon, I got something to tell you. Simon, I got, a, I got a question for you. If there was a, a man who, who had a great debt and was forgiven, and, and then this person had a small debt and, and was forgiven, which would love the most? And he said, well, it's obvious the one who had the greater debt. He said, you know, you're right. You're smarter than you look. He said, let me tell you something. Her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. That's why she's loving much. See, she was already forgiven. She wasn't doing this to be forgiven. She's already forgiven. And she was manifesting her worship because of her forgiveness. Are y'all with me? And, and Simon, you ain't done anything. You know what he's saying? You're not even saved. See, Simon didn't understand what her worship cost her. And there are people today, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're facing. When they find their place at the altar, maybe when they have tears dripping off their face during the worship, you don't know why they're going through this because you've never been where they've been. You've never walked in their steps. You've never experienced what they've experienced. They got a song that you can't sing. You've never lost what they've lost. You've never hurt like they've hurt. You've never gone through what they've gone through. They have a song that you can't sing. And listen, these witnesses have a song that nobody else can sing because they've seen stuff other people hadn't seen. And watch this. And they made it. Can y'all see the worship? 
Then write this down. Lord help. We got to hurry, guys. Y'all ain't listening fast enough. Look here. What's the, what's the, next, what's the next letter? D, I want you to see their walk. Their walk. You could put their witness, their testimony. They kept themselves clean. They kept themselves clean. The next few verses that you read said neither was their guile found in their mouth. They were, they had no fault. You got to understand during this period of time, there's going to be great, great, great sexual immorality. There is going to be, and, and there's on both sides, there's the physical immorality and then there's going to be the spiritual adultery with the harlot that we'll talk about later. But they kept themselves pure. They kept themselves clean. They, they stayed separated unto Christ. And, 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 and the significant part of this is where it says wherever the lamb went, they went. In other words, wherever he led them, they stayed with the Lamb. They stayed committed. They stayed separated. Even in the midst of idolatry, even in the midst of un, unfathomable immorality, they stayed pure and righteous and committed to the Lamb. Church, say amen. Then, then, then let's look at the next section. Let's look at scene two. Scene 2, look in verse, verse number <clears throat> 6. Uh, verse number 6. It says, and I saw another angel. I saw another. We're, we're in a different scene now. We're in a different look. <clears throat> I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. To every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, the great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead... Or in his hand the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night nor wor who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now let's look at this. Scene 2. We see three angels. We see three angels. First, I want you to see angel number one. This is the angel of proclamation. Write that down. This is the angel of proclamation. Verse number six. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth in the sea and the fountains of waters. There's, there's a lot to this that I, I wish I had time to dissect into everything. But if you've noticed, in, during the tribulation period, <clears throat> there are three avenues or vehicles, if you will, three 
modes of distributing the gospel that, that God has provided for the people on this earth. First, we have the two witnesses. How many of y'all remember them? The two witnesses who God sealed and God protected and they're standing and they have power and they have miracle ability and they are proclaiming the gospel. They're saying, don't follow the Antichrist, trust in Christ, the real Christ, the Son of God. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Are y'all with me? So they are proclaiming the gospel. They're giving people a chance and and there's going to be people who who get saved because of their ministry. But then you have the 144,000 Jewish evangelists going about this whole earth. And they're, they're preaching and preaching and going and preaching. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're risking their life. Listen, they are going. And, and so God is creating opportunities. God is creating opportunities for people to get saved. Don't think that God is this mean, mean spirit in heaven who hates people and is, can't wait to destroy them. God is giving them every chance and opportunity to be delivered. Well, now we have one more chance. Now we have God, this is giving, God is giving his last opportunity. This is the last chance. And this, this angel, it says in the midst of heaven, which is mid-heaven. In other words, he's going to be, he's going to be, his area of ministry is going to be such as that the Antichrist cannot get to him. Now, if you'll remember that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, but there's going to come a time when he's not going to have availability to that. There's not going to be war in heaven anymore. His his operations is going to be limited to this earth. So the angel is going to be in a place and going to be in a mode where he can present the gospel and the Antichrist and Satan cannot get to him. And it's going to be in a way that every nation, every tongue, and every people will be able to hear the gospel from this angel. In other words, there is not one single person on the planet going to be able to have an excuse. He's presenting the everlasting gospel. You say, what is the everlasting gospel? It's the gospel that began in Eden. That there is a God. There is a God. He's the creator of all things. Going back all the way through Eden through the prophets all the way to the end of time. Turn back to God. He is, it's not, it's not the Antichrist, it's not the false prophet. Turn to God. Three things I want you to see. First, I want you to see the details of this proclamation. And I, I don't even think, I, I think I just printed it out for you. But underline this, the existence of God. They proclaim the existence of God. Look what he says. <clears throat> He's preaching to every nation, kindred, and tongue of people. What are they telling them? It says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him, now watch, that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. In other words, they go back to the very base, the very base truth that should convict you. Now think about that. What does it say in Romans chapter number one? What does it say in Romans chapter number one? We are without excuse. Because even creation itself shows you that there's a God. Y'all with me? What does it mean? When I walk outside and I see that moon and them stars, something put that there. 
When I see the mountains and the trees and all of God's creation, creation tells me there's a creator. And this angel is appealing to the very base truth that should bring us to an understanding of God. There is a God. There is a God. To every atheist, there's a God. To every unbeliever, there is a God. And he made the heavens and the earth. It's kind of like what Paul did with the idol to the unknown God. Y'all remember? Paul goes through and, and, and he sees all of these. They, they, ha, they have a, a, an idol to every God you can imagine. They just made them up. And then they had one. In case we miss one, this is to the unknown God. Paul says, that's the one I want to talk about. Let me declare this one to you. Hey, he's the God who made it all. So the existence of God, he proclaims. The expectation of God, underline that word. What is, what is the God? What is the God who made everything expect? Your worship. He said, worship God, fear him. Watch this. You won't worship him or give him glory till you fear him. Why? The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Are y'all with me? It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. It begins with the fear of the Lord. You've got to understand that there is a God and we should respect and reverence him. He, ex, he has an expectation for his creation. Then I want you to see the exaltation of God. What happens when we understand that there is a true God? He truly exists. And then he expects our worship, our reverence, our fear of him. What do we do? We give glory to him. We exalt him and put him in his rightful place and worship him as God. Now, see, that's the thing that they wouldn't do. They refused to. Even though they knew he was God, they rebelled and, re listen, refused to worship him. This all, this all goes back to chapter number one of Romans. And, and we don't have time for that, but you go, go read it. Go read chapter one of Romans. Angel number one is an angel of proclamation. We see the details of this proclamation. Then I want you to see the deadline. The deadline of this proclamation. Look what it says. The hour of his judgment has come. In other words, the clock just struck midnight. The angel is saying, this is it. This is it. For 20 years now, I'm rounding it up one. Been here 19 years. So let's just say 20 years. We've given invitation after invitation after invitation after invitation. And until Jesus comes, I'm going to keep giving them. But at this point, the angel is giving the last one. In other words, he's saying, this is it. This is it. The time of his judgment has come. Are y'all with me? Amen. Then angel number two. We say angel number one is the angel of proclamation. Angel number two is the angel of condemnation. The way this reads, verse eight, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now here's what I need you to understand about Babylon. Babylon is the 
is the political, economic, and religious empire of the Antichrist. Okay, when you read Babylon in this, and there's so much that we could go all the way back to the beginning with Nimrod and, and the Tower of Babel and the, and the Plain of Shinar and all of, uh, this, there's, there, the city's going to be rebuilt. It is, is widely believed there in, 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 and it's in modern day Iraq, by the way. Babylon is. That's where the Tower of Babel was. Now think about that. Think about that. That's where the, 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 the peoples were scattered. Because they had a one world religion. And that's where, that's where idolatry began. In the history of the world, in the history of mankind, idolatry began in Babylon. All right? All false worship began in Babylon. And God confounded their languages and they scattered. Now watch. They were one, but they, now they become many. In the end, we're going to come back full circle. And everybody's going to come back. And what kind of how many religion are we going to have? One. How many economic systems are we going to have? One. How many what what kind of uh, uh, political uh, governmental one world. one world government? And and the second and and by the way, mercy, we got to hurry. The way this is worded. It's, it says, and they're followed. In other words, it's like the first angel isn't even completely finishing proclaiming the gospel. And man is refusing to listen or repent. And condemnation is declared. Because man will refuse to turn from the beast, to turn and, and not worship and not follow after. And turn to God. So they are condemned. It's fallen. It may look like it's going to have a heyday. It may look like it's going to have its time. But it's very short lived. Then we see the third angel. What is the first angel? It's the angel of? Alright, second angel is the angel of? Then the third angel is the angel of damnation. Look what it says in verse 9. And this one follows just as quickly. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. In other words, God is saying, this is, this is what's going to take place if you take the mark. These are the consequences of following the beast. If any man... Worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. Indignation is anger. Now he's using, he's using the visual. Back in that day in ancient times, they would take wine and dilute it with water to, to, to dilute the strength of the wine. Are y'all with me? And what is he saying here? Look what it says. They shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. In other words, it's going to be the complete, full content. It will have no mercy. So far, so far, we have been seeing 
judgment mingled, mixed with mercy and grace. But not now. Whoever takes the mark of the beast will partake and receive the full anger and vengeance of a holy God. It says, He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Say it with me. And the, verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for. Be careful when you hear people on TV and you hear Bible teachers on, on the internet tell you that, that once a person dies without God, then they're just all over. There's not an eternal damnation. These verse completely contradicts that. Completely. The Bible is the Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar. Look what it says. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Who worship the beast and the image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. That's a little different picture than the one we've seen in chapter 13. Amen? Now look in verse 12. We see the third scene. I love this one. I love this one. I love this one. Herein is the patience of the saints. The word patience there literally means perseverance, the endurance. Patient endurance, the ability to withstand. Here is the patience, the perseverance of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from, him, from heaven saying unto me, Right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You say, why is this so encouraging? Man, you're talking about them dying. Why is that encouraging? Let's read, let's read our, our notes. Under number three, the scene three. <clears throat> the persevering character of saving faith is never more clearly and powerfully seen than in this message. In other words... This is, this is where we, we, you know, I mean, there's several verses, there's several places that we go to to talk about, uh, some call it say, once saved, always saved theology, uh, uh, the eternal security of the believer, uh, the perseverance of the saints, whatever, whatever you choose to use, these three are true doctrines, and this is what we're talking about right now. I believe once saved, always saved. I believe the perseverance of the saints. I believe in eternal security of the believer. And this is what we're reading. He says, look at the patience of the saints. Look what it says. In these particular verses, no group, now think about this, no group of believers ever in the history of the world, no group of believers have ever faced or will ever face stronger assaults on their faith than the tribulation saints. This large group of believers will include both Jews and Gentiles. They will be saved through the ministries of the two witnesses and the 144,000. The tribulation believers will endure the most intense persecution in human history. 
In Matthew 24, 21, Jesus described this period as a time of great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So terrible will the conditions be that unless those days will be cut short, even the saved, even the elect will fall. There is no stronger evidence that saving faith perseveres than the reality that the most tested believers in history will maintain their saving faith until the end. Are y'all with me? The saints who go through the most difficult time in humanity's history, the time that the saints will have their faith tested in the most severe way and they make it, we got a chance. Are y'all with me? Now watch, watch. Where do you get this from? We're talking about eternal security. The, the, the believer's assurance of salvation. Look, three things. First, God's promise establishes it. God's promise establishes it. What does it say in Psalm 37, 23? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Watch this. Though he... Help me now. Though he, he shall not be utterly. Why? For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. What is that a promise of? I may get a little wobbly. And I may make mistakes in my life. And my faith may get a little weak. But the Bible says, though he fall, God's going to hold me up. Say amen. Not my ability, not my intellect, not the strength of what I have on the inside of me. I'm telling you this, it's by God's hand and his power, he promises it. Are y'all with me? His promise establishes it. But then his purpose assures it. God's purpose assures it. Look what it says in John 6, 37. All, now this is Jesus speaking, all that the Father giveth me, shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no... Help me, help me, help me. I will in no wise cast out. That means for no reason at all. Not some, not a few. No reason. Are y'all with me? For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he hath given me, I should lose. I should lose, but should raise it up again at the last day. That is God's purpose. It is God's purpose that whoever the Father gives the Son, the Son's going to bring him right on through. Are y'all with me? And the Son is not going to lose any. Are y'all with me? Yeah, I got some more. Watch this. God's promise establishes it. God's purpose assures it. But God's, this is, this is it. God's power guarantees it. God's power guarantees it. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy 
hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, what's the next word? Say it again. Say it again. Who? That's you and me. Who are kept, who are, come on, who are kept by the power of God. Who are, come on, who are kept by the Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means you're not kept by your ability to do right. You are not kept by the amount of church you go to. You are not kept by how much Bible you learn. You are not kept by how, how, are y'all with me? I'm not kept by anything that I have or will have. I am kept. I am secure. I am saved by the power of God. Now listen, some people have this idea. It, it, it would be like this. It would be like this. You know when you know when Noah got on the ark? Y'all with me? Y'all remember? You know in the book of Genesis. Right? The door was open. And this there's so much typology here, but I don't have time to go into it. You know, he put the pitch on the walls, keep the judgment out. And that's the same word as atonement. Y'all with me? Yeah, yeah, I want to go into it. But he called Noah in the ark and God shut the door. And Noah went through the judgment safe in the ark. Let me say it again. In the ark. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Noah was not on the outside holding on. Yeah, come on. Noah was not on the outside holding on, hoping to make it. No, sir. He was kept safe in the ark. And if you are in Christ, listen, he, you, are, you are kept by the power of God. Yeah. Listen, think about this. It's all about God's grace. Isn't it amazing to me? I don't understand. I don't understand how people can't understand this concept. If you were not good enough to earn it, you can't be bad enough to lose it. Because it is not your goodness that you got it anyway. It was all the grace of God. Amen. What about them people who don't go to church no more? What about them people that walked away? They lost it. No, no. You got bad theology. You got bad theology. Let me tell you what happened to them. Let me tell you what happened to them. 1 John 2, 19. I just put this in there. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest. In other words, it might show or reveal that they were not all of us. Preacher, what are you saying? People that can walk away from God never had God. How do you know? Because God says he's going to keep those who the Father brings to him. And he's going to lose 
because he will in no wise. Mm-hmm, it is good. I'm telling you, it's good. Look, look. Here is the patience, the endurance, the perseverance of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto them, unto me, right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Their works do follow them. In other words, what they do for Christ will not be forgotten. Let me just give you these two things real quick. Now, you can go home and read them. There's two different harvests from verse 14 to verse 20. There's a wheat harvest described and there's a grape harvest described. Now, both of these are future one describes the coming bowl judgments. Coming bowl judgments or vile judgments, whichever word you want to use, which is in chapter 16. And then the grape harvest, which is verse 17 through 20, it's talking about Armageddon. It is describing Armageddon where God is going to bring the armies of this earth to Jerusalem to fight against Christ. And they will be reaped. So the first, first, first set is describing the, the, the judgments of chapter 16, the, the vile judgments that are poured out repeatedly over and over very quickly. The noisome, noisome so, uh, sores, the, the sun being increased to burn humanity, all of these things, and we'll get to them later. But what, is, what, what we are seeing is a forecast of what's to come. And it's really the forecast of the end. The forecast of the end. Armageddon, Armageddon will be the end when, when Christ comes in, in chapter number 19 on a white horse. And, and anyway, we, we don't have time, we'll get to that. What's the point? What's the point? This is the point. This is the point. In the end, everything's going to be okay. In the end, everything's going to be okay. If everything's not okay, it's not the end. Just hold on. Everything's going to be okay. It may look bad, but we win. We win. And all God's people say it. Amen. Well, let's pray and, and uh, go get your youngest, all right? Lord Jesus.